From iHeart Podcast, Supreme, the battle for Roe, tells the story of the unlikely champions behind the landmark case, Roe v. Wade. Starring Maya Hawk as 26-year-old lead attorney, Sarah Weddington. We're challenging the Texas abortion laws in federal court. And Academy Award nominee, William H. Macy as Supreme Court Justice, Harry Blackman. Time is not the most important factor. Getting it right is. Listen to the podcast, Supreme, the battle for Roe, on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. How powerful is Cox Internet? So powerful that one day, your daughter will be able to simulate a soccer match against some of the world's best players right from your backyard. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Internet delivered through Cox's hybrid fiber coax network. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions apply. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Wrestling DeLorean Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Mike De Niro. And boy, do we have a stack show for you guys today. I'm talking hashtag super stack. But before we get into the show today, I want to thank all our fans from all over the world. Thank you for supporting the Wrestling DeLorean Podcast. Thank you for following us on Instagram and TikTok at Wrestling DeLorean Pod. And thank you for downloading, subscribing, rating, reviewing, all that good shit. I appreciate all my fans from all over the world. We got a fan base in Mexico, Canada, Ireland, the UK, India, Chile, Brazil, Philippines, Taiwan, Germany. Yo, it goes on and on and it's growing bigger and bigger. So thank you to all the supporters. Thank you to all the passengers of the Wrestling DeLorean. Without you, there is no us. So what are we talking about today, huh? What else is there to talk about? We're going to be talking about the amazing episode of AEW Dynamite from last night. Road Rager definitely felt like a new era beginning for AEW, and we're going to get into all that action. But it's also Thursday, and you know what that means. We're going to be going back in time to February 2006 as we talk about the next episode of TNA Impact on Spike TV because Thursdays can only mean one thing, making an impact. We got a lot to talk about today, all the news and notes from around the world, and all the action that's been going down. So let's talk about it right now. What's good, y'all? I hope everyone is having a wonderful Thursday morning. Thank you for inviting me into your homes. Thank you for inviting me into your morning routine. If you are eating breakfast right now, if you're on your way to work, Thank you for joining the Wrestling DeLorean Podcast, because without you, there is no us. We are all the driving force of the Wrestling DeLorean Podcast, not just me, so thank you very much for all the support. Let's get into the news. Let's get into the notes of the wrestling world. So, it was announced yesterday that MLW has hired Dave Prezak to start an MLW women's division in the coming future. If you are unfamiliar with who Dave Prezak is, Dave Prezak is a former ring announcer and commentator for Ring of Honor Wrestling, but he's also the driving force behind Shimmer, Shine, and some of the st- the top women promotions in the independent scene in the United States. So having a guy like Dave Prezak on your roster will definitely bring some of the top women talent that been tearing it up and maybe looking for an opportunity with Dave Prezak on board, that's more of a, another dimension that MLW could take. And I think this is a good pickup. So really cool. Nowadays, you know, you can't just have a all-men all men 
wrestling organization. There's too much talent in the women's division or in women in general to deny. So I think that it's really cool to have MLW joining the world with a women's division. I know they tried to start a women's division a couple years ago. They had a couple couple women on their roster, but not enough to form a real division behind. You know, does this mean we'll be getting an MLW women's champion? I could see that happening, and I could see that, you know, coming really soon. So I think that's a really cool thing for MLW. Yesterday, early on in the day, we got a Tommy End cinematic video where basically he's in like a, a, a sane asylum and he seems to be possessed by this demon named Malachi Black. And he kills the doctors, right? And this is the introduction to his new character, Malachi Black. Something that I would not be... Something that I thought we would not be talking about or be seeing on TV for a long, long time because of a particular non-compete clause. But we're going to get into all that and the big surprise from last night when we talk about AEW Road Rager. But definitely, definitely, definitely was a cool introduction to a new character, a new side, and a new realm of the mind of Tommy End. This was very reminiscent of the John Moxley cinematic video after he left the WWE. So I, I thought this was pretty cool. I liked it. Uh, cameo by Josiah Williams. Shouts to Josiah. That was really dope. The XFL is announced that they will be launching in 2023. They are bringing back football. Nah, but yeah, XFL 2023 is coming back. Um, they were trying to work out a deal with the Canadian Football League. That seems to have fallen through. They're just going to be an entity of their own now. Um, to be honest, when the XFL came back in 2020, I I was enjoying it for a little bit, you know. I thought that it was pretty fun. It was definitely a new side of football, new aspects, some things that the NFL didn't have that you already see them implementing now. I like the fact that they had the uh, cameras inside of the the replay room. So when you have the replay official looking over a play, like you could hear the the thought process behind it because sometimes in NFL games, you just got a long-ass wait and you don't know what the hell the thought process is going in right now. You don't know which way the play is going to turn out. So I thought that was really cool. And, you know, yeah, New York finally had a fucking winning team. So I was really excited for it, but then it got canceled halfway through because of COVID. And then after that, you know, we had Vince McMahon sell it. Now Dwayne The Rock Johnson owns it. So I'm excited to see what could come out of the XFL 2023, I'm all for the launch, so I'm with that. Yesterday, X-Pac, Sean Waltman was on The Bump on WWE Network and Peacock. He revealed that he would love, if he was to come back, to have a match and a program against Sami Zayn. I think those two would have a really good matchup. They actually had, for those who don't know, they actually had a really good matchup, a stellar matchup in Chikara about... I want to say 10 years ago, uh, X-Pac was in his 1-2-3 kid character and Sami Zayn, well, I mean, I don't know. There was a guy who wrestled a lot like Sami Zayn named El Generico. <laughs> no, nah, but it was Sami Zayn, El Generico versus 1-2-3 kid. 
And it was a really good matchup and stole the show for, uh, I believe it was King of Trios Night 3 in 2011. So, I mean, I, I could see why he would have faith in Sami Zayn, you know. He also did mention that he could see him teaming up and having good matches against MSK and Santos Escobar from NXT, which is really cool to show that X-Pac, he has his finger on the pulse. He's not just watching the Raw and SmackDown product, but he he's very well-versed in the NXT world as well, which is really cool because when you have legends invested in some of these young and up-and-comers, like an X-Pac endorsement for a MSK or a Santos Escobar goes a long way. So I think that that's really dope, you know what I mean? It is announced for WWE SmackDown's return to Madison Square Garden September 10th that a vaccine will be required. So if you are planning on attending the Madison Square Garden show for SmackDown, make sure you have your vaccine card ready or you will be denied access to the venue. So that's really, uh, you know, I'm not going to give my opinions on that. Just know that, you know, I think that it is good that we're trying to stay protected. And I think it's good that we're going to continue to try to, you know, defeat this pandemic. As well as make sure that everyone could go to these venues and go to these shows safely and enjoy themselves without any limitations. That's really cool to see. So that's my opinion on that. Speaking of SmackDown, July 23rd, SmackDown will be live from Rolling Loud Festival in Miami. There's going to be matches live from the festival in Miami. I think that's really freaking cool. One thing that I really, really hate about the WWE is even though they are a traveling... Like, forget the Thunderdome. Let's talk before, Let's talk pre, uh, pre-pandemic, right? Even though that they are traveling, even though they are a traveling entity and promotion, every venue looks the same. The production, the setup, everything looks the same. Now, I'm not saying this won't look the same, but to have a show from a festival, I think that adds a different dynamic. See, that's very AEW-like. AEW would do shows from festivals, Comic-Cons, and fucking cruise boats. So, I think it's really cool that WWE goes in that direction, too, because... You know, I know it's about what's in ring, but, you know, the, the the different atmospheres and the different sceneries does add to a show. Like, I always enjoyed the outdoor WrestleManias, for example. Like, I always thought that they looked so cool on TV having an outdoor wrestling show, especially in the daytime when the sun is up. Now, I know it's probably not the best for sound quality and, you know, you have the fan, the uh, chants, and you got the... Uh, fans' reactions going up into the air so you could barely hear it. But from a visual standpoint, I always found it really fascinating and awesome. Like, even though everybody hates WrestleMania 9, everyone says that WrestleMania 9 sucks. Shit, I agree. WrestleMania 9 sucked. But watching WrestleMania 9, I would rewatch it for replay value. I think it has replay value due to the fact that the venue was so fucking dope. It was outside. They built it up like a Roman Coliseum. It was really fucking cool to see. So something like that, I think, goes a long way. You know, like when I think about Sting versus Triple H, everyone shits on that match. But I go rewatch that match because it was fucking outside. You know what I mean? It was dope. It was cool to see. It was nice. It was a cool visual. That's what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Like I always thought that shit really went a far and a long way with me. But yeah, so... A, definitely a change of scenery for the WWE. I think that when you switch up the background, you could bring more 
attention to what's in the ring, even though that barely makes sense. It makes sense in my head. And speaking of making sense, the last thing we're going to be talking about in our news and notes portion of this podcast is the Monday Night Raw ratings. They are the lowest in show history. Monday Night Raw this week drew a 1.57 mil, which means that they have sunken to the lowest that they have ever been. Now, I know that they're about to leave the Thunderdome, but that don't mean that it's only because of the Thunderdome. Because SmackDown, yes, their ratings have been up and down, but SmackDown's ratings have been a lot more consistent than Raw. And when you have a better show, you forget that they're in a fucking Thunderdome and there's screens for fans and you enjoy the show. Because guess what? There's been many episodes of SmackDown, a lot of episodes of SmackDown during the pandemic. Shit, there was even episodes of SmackDown during the pandemic when they were in the Performance Center and no fans there, right? That shit was still watchable more than Raw. Raw was not watchable. Why is that? The writing sucks ass. Like I said on my Raw review this week, they had, you know, a good couple weeks, the last couple weeks. But this show was fucking horrible. So, it makes sense that their ratings are low. And I could only hope and pray that they turn it around because I don't want to see Raw sink anymore. I want to see everybody flourish. For everyone saying that I shit on the WWE, I don't. I want to see everybody flourish. So I would hope and pray that Raw turns it around and has a comeback when they bring the fans back because they need it. They definitely need it. They need to have a... A resurgence. Something needs to happen. Something exciting needs to happen. But right now, the sad part is all the exciting shit's on SmackDown. All the exciting rumors are on SmackDown. When you hear about John Cena returning to the WWE, they're not talking about him returning on Raw. They're talking about him returning to face Roman Reigns. You have Edge gearing up for a dream match against Seth Rollins on SmackDown. What does Raw have right now? A very dominant champ with very lackluster opponents. They have Drew McIntyre doing story time. What the fuck? We're made to believe that now all of a sudden, once again, Jinder Mahal is going to be a threat. We have Matt Riddle, who I'm a fan of, but Matt Riddle, who has an injured ankle falling off ladders and then still being able to beat the best wrestler in the world. We have The Miz shooting people with a water gun. Like, does, we have fucking Nikki Cross dressing up as a superhero. We have Alexa Bliss acting like a possessed little demon. Like, does this stuff... Do, are you shocked why Raw's ratings are in the shitter? It makes sense. Raw is ass. SmackDown has better writing. NXT is a better show. I hope Raw could pull it together because if they don't, their ratings will continue to plummet. And guess what? If the ratings plummet, they ain't going to look too good when their contract with the USA Network is back up. Just saying. I think that they need to overhaul the whole shit. They need to bring back some form of 
excitement to Raw because right now it's not there. It's just not there. Anyway, speaking of exciting, when we come back from this break, we're going to be talking in depth all about AEW's Road Rager, which was a phenomenal show. You know, I talked about how the Great American Bash might be show of the year. Road Rager might have just took that title. So when we come back, we're talking all about it, and you'll hear my thoughts and opinions on everything that went down last night on AEW Live from Miami, Florida. Be right back. Protesters and supporters alike are lined up outside the United States Supreme Court this afternoon as a decision in the most hotly debated case in years is set to be delivered. From iHeart Podcast, Supreme, the battle for Roe, tells the story of the unlikely champions behind the landmark case, Roe v. Wade. Sir, I graduated the top quarter of my class. We, we just, just don't, don't have a spot for you. Starring Maya Hawk as 26-year-old lead attorney, Sarah Weddington. We're challenging the Texas abortion laws in federal court. And Academy Award nominee, William H. Macy, as Supreme Court Justice Harry Blackman. My chief qualification being... I'm uncontroversial. You know how we both ended up on the Supreme Court? Politics. Damn right. This may be the longest of shots, but it's also the last chance for a lot of women. Time is not the most important factor. Getting it right is. I'm trying to get you to stand for something, man. Now go to it. Listen to Supreme, the battle for Roe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the show. We're about to get into AEW Road Rager last night. They were on the road once again. Hit the Willa Nelson. On the road again. They were on the road once again after 15 months of being resonated to Daly's Place. AEW back on the road. And they had such a strong show for their first show out. I said in the intro of this podcast, I think that this was the start of a new era for AEW, and I think that it's definitely going to be a fun era to watch. This show was amazing. Like I said, live from Miami, Florida, had a hot crowd. Great to see that crowd back. Great to see fans back in the venues. Like, that's why I was just talking about the whole Raw shit. Like, you see that the change of scenery, you see the fans there, like, that shit adds so much to the show. So... We have a lot to talk about because a lot went down last night. There was not one moment of the show that was not either newsworthy or fun to watch. So let's get right into it right now. AEW Road Rager from Miami, Florida. We're going to talk all about it right now. Last night, AEW had the best show that they've had in 2021, in my opinion. Such an amazing, such a stacked 
show. This was just a great show. This was better than Double or Nothing. This was better than any pay-per-view that they put on. And this was damn sure better than any fucking Dynamite that they had this year. So let's get into it right now. Show starts out really hot. We got the crowd there going crazy. Of course, Cody Rhodes, Mr. Glory Hound himself, Mr. I like Cody Rhodes. I ain't gonna shit on him. Cody Rhodes comes out first. His matchup is first up in front of this crowd. It is Cody Rhodes versus QT Marshall in a strap match. This has traditional strap match rules where you have to tap each corner of the uh, ring to pick up the victory in succession. You have to hit all four turnbuckles. And guess what? This was actually a good matchup. For everybody who's been shitting on this storyline, including myself, you know, this matchup, I hope it's the feud ender. It definitely seems like the feud ender for what happened early, I mean, later on in the night. But good matchup. QT Marshall was split open pretty early on. There was a weird moment in this matchup that I thought that was actually a technical difficulty. The whole lightning in the venue went off. We went black. We had a blackout. And, you know, it was a little weird at first. I thought, oh, who's debuting? But then no one debuted. So I was like, shit, bad production again for AEW. But we'll talk about that later on because it wasn't bad production. It wasn't a production flaw. It actually had reason so i will talk about that later on because we find out what that was all about later on i thought oh, i was called this match was really fun cody rose picks up the victory the crowd was strongly behind cody so for everyone saying that oh you know cody is an egomaniac cody is you know not getting crowd reaction blah 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 the fans don't want cody anymore boo 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 right the fans were strongly behind cody so you can't you can't deny that Next, we got Sean Spears. He has He's cutting a promo backstage. He's calling out Sammy Gravara, and he's talking about hitting him with the chair last week. He says that was the second best chair shot in AEW history. And out of nowhere, Sammy Gravara just comes out and hits, uh, he hits Sean Spears with the chair. He attacks him, and he said this is far from over. He calls him a bitch. Really cool segment here. I am excited to see that matchup. I think it's going to elevate both Gravara and Sean Spears. Next, we got Tony Schiavone. Tony Schiavone, he comes out to the ring, and he brings out AEW champion Kenny Omega, who comes out with Don Callis. Really funny moment here. The crowd is chanting to Don Callis, you got fired in regards to his uh, Impact Wrestling departure. Don Callis, he says, real men don't quit to get fired, so he, he answers back. That's another cool thing with AEW is they actually are not f- afraid to answer the fans back. You know, they, they could go off script here and talk to the fans and not have to, like, pretend that the fans are not there because I ain't going to say it, but another company do that. You know what I mean? Anyway, so he's saying that there's a problem. There's no one left to beat. He said he beat Jungle Boy. Kenny Omega beat Jungle Boy, Pac, Orange Cassidy. He beat John Moxley. He's beating them all. Who is there left to beat? Once again, like last week, the Dark Order comes out to a huge pop. Evil Uno says, why is he ignoring the crowd? Because the crowd keeps chanting Hangman. The crowd keeps chanting Cowboy shit. He says, why are you ignoring the number one ranked wrestler and the number one contender for that title? And Omega, he just blows him off. He's like, yeah, whatever. And then he low blows Evil Uno. And then the Good Brothers are seen on the stage attacking the Dark Order. Which leads to Hangman Page coming out, taking out the Good Brothers, and having a stare down with Kenny Omega. The crowd's going absolutely apeshit for this. 
They want to see Hangman take that title from Kenny Omega. Shit, I think that Hangman might be the one to take that title from Kenny Omega. I just don't know if now's the right time. I know they're probably going to build this up until the next pay-per-view all out. Or whatever the next pay-per-view is, right? I know that they're going to build this up for a while. So I'm not going to make that same mistake that I made for the Moxley and Jericho feud and be like, oh, now's not the time. And then the storyline takes like, you know, eight weeks. And then it was the time when it actually happened. I know this is probably going to be built up for a while. And if they ever do touch, if they ever do have a matchup before the pay-per-view, it's probably going to be a fuck finish that leads to a rematch at the pay-per-view. So I'm not mad that they're doing it right now. But to have this animosity between Omega and Hangman and then they don't even discuss one another or are in one another's plans for the next year to all of a sudden we're back to that I like it I love the long term storytelling but I need a little you know I need a little connecting the dots and I think that we'll get that because next week Hangman Page has a promo he's going to be cutting he's going to be talking in front of the crowd in Austin Texas or Dallas Texas wherever uh, Fighter Fest is from so, I definitely think that, you know, we're going to have a great, fun program between Kenny Omega and Hangman Page. Do you take the title off Kenny Omega? Kenny Omega's running hot right now. Kenny Omega seems to be getting better from all his uh, injuries while he's still on the road, while he's still making all his dates and doing all his matches. Is it time to take that title away from Kenny Omega? I don't know, but if you don't pull the trigger on Hangman, is it going to be too late? Hangman's hot. You got to strike when the iron's hot. You don't want to make the same mistake other companies did. I remember, for example, right? Because I don't want to make... I don't want to make it seem like WWE is the only one that makes these mistakes. Because it's not, right? I remember, for example, you had one time in Ring of Honor, Davey Richards was on fire, right? And he wrestled for the world title against Tyler Black a.k.a. Seth Rollins, and he lost. Then they build him back up again, and he's on fire again. And you had him versus Roderick Strong at Final Battle 2010, and he lost. And they tried to build him up a third time, but this time the fans weren't so much behind him. So when he finally did win that title against Eddie Edwards... Fans were happy, but they were kind of done with Davey Richards. They're like, oh, that's cool. He won it. All right. When, if they would have struck when the iron was hot, it would have been a big deal. It wasn't so much of a big deal when they did. Same thing with Braun Strowman. If Braun Strowman beat Brock Lesnar when the fans were behind Braun Strowman, think about how big that would have been. But instead, he beats Goldberg three years after the fans were behind him, right? So... That right there shows that if you don't strike when the iron is hot, people may not care when it finally happens. Hangman Page for sure is a future world heavyweight champion. But if you do not strike when the iron is hot, you cannot ever go back to the time when he's the most over. Unless you do something totally different, right? So, mm, I say pay-per-view time, next pay-per-view. Hangman Page beats Kenny Omega for the world title. You heard it here first. Hot take. Next. 
in the show, Jim Ross has a sit-down with Darby Allen and Ethan Page. Jim Ross finds it sad that these guys want to end each other's livelihoods. He says he's feeling really uneasy about next week's matchup. Darby Allen says that Ethan Page is jealous of him because he made it to where he was in one year when Ethan Page was 12 years in that eight at Ethan Page. Ethan Page said that he was right because of 12 years of hard work. He has to see this snotty little kid come in and get all the opportunities that he deserves. Jim Ross says that he's really uneasy about this matchup because he thinks that they're going to try to kill each other next week in this coffin matchup. This was an amazing segment. Last week I was shitting on how they moved this matchup from uh, from this week to next week and I was like, oh, come on, you can't do that, blah, 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 blah. But... This extra week of buildup now really makes this a must-watch matchup. They really did this really well. So, I, I'm, I'm with it. Next, we have the Pinnacle. FTR and Wardlow coming out with Tully Blanchard. They go against Santana, Ortiz, and Jake Hager with Conan. And this was a really good matchup. First of all, Jake Hager was a man possessed in this matchup. He was just throwing people around. He looked like a million bucks. This was probably one of his best performances in AEW. Really good matchup. Great action. FTR and Wardlow pick up the victory in the end. Like I said, it was a great match. After the match, Conan hits Wardlow with the Mad Ball, a.k.a. the Slapjack, a.k.a. the Sock with two baseballs in there. Tully Blanchard clips Conan at the knees. This feud will continue. I don't know if we're leading to Conan and Tully mixing it up. I could possibly see Conan and... Proud and Powerful going against FTR and Tully. That would be, you know, somewhat interesting. As long as we don't get Tully versus Conan one-on-one, that would be horrible. But definitely, I like where they're going with the storyline. It's been fun to watch, so I'm still with it. I'm still having fun with it. We have a lot more to talk about. This is such a long, stacked episode of AEW. It was not longer than usual. It was the irregular two hours, but they jam-packed so much in it. That there is a lot more to discuss. So when we come back from this break, we're going to be talking about the second half of AEW's Road Rager. And there is a lot of amazing things to talk about. So make sure you come back. Because if you want to talk about one of the coolest debuts and something that the fans are going to be talking about for quite a while, you got to wait until we come back to hear my thoughts about it. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Let's not even mess around. Let's get right into more of AEW Road Rager because there is a lot of shit to get into. So, let's get right into it right now. Next on this amazing show, it is announced that we're going to be getting a New Japan Pro Wrestling sanctioned matchup next week because it will be... For the IWGP United States Champion, John Moxley making his return to AEW against the Machine Gun Carl Anderson. Now, I definitely think that John Moxley is going to win this matchup, but I think that it is really cool to see Carl Anderson, a pillar of New Japan for a long time back in the Dizzy, and also a guy who was the originator of the Bullet Club. Back in New Japan Pro Wrestling, wrestling in New Japan rules for a New Japan title. So I am really excited to see John Moxley versus Carl Anderson for the IWGP United States Champion next week at Fighter Fest. Fighter Fest is definitely shaping up to be a great show, so I'm excited for that next week. Next on the show, MJF comes down to the ring. We go to commercial break, come back. Chris Jericho comes down to the ring. 
while Jericho's making his entrance, a fan actually jumps into the ring. The, they pull the camera away, but you see Jericho take a shot at the fan. I think the fan was trying to actually get at MJF. But, yeah, you know, that that's never a good thing. If you're going to these shows, don't be that guy to jump over the guardrail. Enjoy the show like a fan. Don't try to make the show about you. So, you know what I mean? I never condone fans jumping the guardrail. People get hurt for that. People get hurt for that. You don't want to be the next guy to get punted in the head because you fucking were too drunk and wanted to jump the guardrail. But anyway, MJF challenges any other fan. He says, anyone who wants to jump into this ring, I will beat their ass. Jericho said that he should have let that fat bastard jump in so he could beat MJF's ass. He says that he won't be backing down to MJF. He never will. He says he will accept any stipulation that MJF has for him. He says even if that means swimming in... uh, Piranha-infested ponds, if it means having sex with his mother again, which this really uh, was a good line by Jericho. MJF says that he won't get rattled, though. He says that he's too good to get rattled by Chris Jericho's juvenile humor here. He says that he studied the career of Chris Jericho, and when Jericho wrestled Moxley in 2020, he said that he made him wrestle everyone in the inner circle. To get to Jericho. He says that he's studied that. And he said that was a brilliant plan. So now he's going to have to do the same thing himself. MJF says that his stipulation. That is Chris Jericho has to face. Four opponents of MJF's choosing. I'm guessing all the members of the Pinnacle. Because that's basically. What he just said Jericho did to Moxley. With the inner circle. But he has to face four opponents of MJF's choosing. In stipulations of MJF's choosing. And he says that he cannot lose any of those four matches. If he does, he's done. He doesn't get MJF. He says, but if he does survive, then he gets MJF in that fifth matchup. And he gets MJF in any stipulation that MJF wants. So, a lot is on the line here. Because if Chris Jericho loses one of those five matches, Jericho, what's next for him? I do think that Jericho is on the tail end of his in-ring career. So I do see this as a passing of the torch to MJF. But do you want Jericho to retire now? I mean, they just went back on the road. But anyway, they they didn't say that the stipulation was for Jericho to retire. But I, I do believe that one of those stipulations will probably be if Jericho loses, he walks away from wrestling. That's just the MJF way, right? And uh, Chris Jericho accepts, though. He says that he won't back down. He's going to do it, right? MJF says that he is not from a shitty place like Miami. He's from New York where you seal every deal with a handshake. He asks Chris Jericho to shake his hand. When Chris Jericho accepts and shakes his hand, he hits him with the Judas effect. This was a great segment. So far, everything on this show has been hitting. Everything on this show has been, you know, feeling right. This was a great segment. Chris Jericho and MJF both came off like they really hate each other. And they both came off legit here. I really enjoyed the segment. Moving on to the next. So far, by the way, like I said, amazing episode of AEW. We have a Britt Baker interview. Britt Baker says that Tony Khan should be ashamed of himself. She says that he only booked that matchup with Vicky Guerrero and her last week... So Vicky could bring in Andrade. I don't know what that means, but that's what she said, right? 
she says that that was the only reason why. And because of that match, Reba is now injured. She separated her kneecap, and now she's walking in a, a crutch. So she tells Tony, Andrade's here. You got what you wanted. Enjoy your blood money. And then she makes a reference to WWE in Saudi Arabia, saying maybe next week we'll actually be live from Saudi Arabia. Now, I'm going to say it. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. That was unnecessary. I'm sick and tired of them feeling that they have to reference WWE to be cool. This whole show didn't have one reference to WWE before this, and this whole show has been cool. It's not needed. It's not needed. We all know the WWE and the Saudi shit is stupid. We all know that, you know, it's probably not the best business practices for the WWE, right? But, you know, I guess they just can't keep the WWE out of their mouth. The AEW, you are the alternative. You don't have to keep doing this. But anyway, speaking of Andrade, oh, well, by the way, it's announced that Britt Baker will be defending her women's title against Nyla Rose next week, night one of Fighter Fest, live from Dallas, Texas. She says they call Dallas the Big D, but next week they're going to call it the Big D-M-D. So, I, I don't see Britt Baker losing this title. She's too over right now to lose that title. Next on this show, we got Andrade El Idolo making his in-ring debut against Matt Seidel. Andrade El Idolo is coming out real... He's giving off real Los Ingrenables vibes with the pinstripe suit and the and the black mask. Looking like Roman Sciatis from Batman. Definitely really cool here to see Andrade in the AEW ring. He uh, definitely looked like he needed to work off some of the rust. He hasn't been in, I don't know if he wrestled yet, but he definitely looked a little rusty here at first, but then he picked it up well. Matt Seidel actually got a lot of offense in also, so this was a good back-and-forth matchup between these two. Andrade definitely is going to be a star here. He looks the part. Andrade looks like a million bucks. Andrade wrestles really well. He has a mouthpiece with him. I don't see why Andrade is not going to be a star in this show. I think that Andrade could definitely be, you know, challenging for the TNT title very soon. I could see Andrade challenging for any title very soon. I think that Andrade is going to be a star in AEW, and I think it's all because of this, you know, you got a star talent, but now you got a star talent with a chip on his shoulder ready to prove that he was held down in another company Look at look at other guys that that they did that with. Look at look at um, I know Miro, I know Miro started out a little rocky, but now Miro's looking like a million bucks, right? It could be the same thing for Andrade. Andrade picks up the victory. After the match, he continues to attack Matt Seidel. Really good matchup, man. So far, like I said, there's been nothing bad on the show. Even the Britt Baker promo. Like, I didn't like that she referenced the Saudi Arabia shit. But, you know, like, it was still... It didn't mean that much, right? Still a great show so far. Matt, Seidel, and Andrade. I would like to see a, a rematch between them. Because these two guys have really good chemistry with each other. Next on the show, we are looking back into the history of Christian Cage and Matt Hardy. And we know there's a lot of history there. 
from the originators of the TLC to that triple ladder match at WrestleMania to that tag team ladder match between the Hardys and Christian and Edge. There's a lot of history between these two guys. And next week at Fighter Fest, we're going to be getting the next chapter written in blood. I'm sure it will be Christian Cage versus Matt Hardy. This should be a really fun matchup. Christian Cage is been really stellar. I think you put him against a guy like Matt Hardy where he has a lot of history with him. You could really sink your teeth into that matchup. So I think that I'm, I'm really excited to see Cage versus Hardy next week. When we come back, we will be talking about the debut that everybody's talking about. We'll be talking about how it was made happen, what made it happen. We'll be talking about the WWE flaw that made it happen. And we'll be continuing with the rest of the show. So when we come back, we're going to be getting into the real meat and potatoes of Road Rager. So stay tuned. Protesters and supporters alike are lined up outside the United States Supreme Court this afternoon as a decision in the most hotly debated case in years is set to be delivered. From iHeart Podcast, Supreme, the battle for Roe, tells the story of the unlikely champions behind the landmark case, Roe v. Wade. Sir, I graduated the top quarter of my class. We, we just, just don't, don't have a spot for you. Starring Maya Hawk as 26-year-old lead attorney Sarah Weddington. We're challenging the Texas abortion laws in federal court. And Academy Award nominee William H. Macy as Supreme Court Justice Harry Blackman. My chief qualification being... I'm uncontroversial. You know how we both ended up on the Supreme Court? Politics. Damn right. This may be the longest of shots, but it's also the last chance for a lot of women. Time is not the most important factor. Getting it right is. I'm trying to get you to stand for something, man. Now go to it. Listen to Supreme, the battle for Roe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to be talking about the final segments of AEW Road Rager, and we're going to be giving our star rating and our thoughts on this whole show as a whole. So without further ado, let's get right into the next segment on this show because this is what a lot of people are going to be talking about. Tony Schiavone is out. He brings out Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson talks about how it feels good to be back inside Miami it feels good to be back inside of arena with a live crowd there. And then all of a sudden the lights go out. Once again, second time on the show. JR, he blames it on the bad weather in Miami. Makes sense. Because, see, at first I was like, you know, during the Cody one, the Cody match, there was a blackout. I was like, you know what? Who's going to debut? Who's going to come out? Who's going to return? And nothing happened. So when this happened, I was like, fuck, AEW, stop with these production flaws. They really got me. Now, this is coming from someone 
who tomorrow will be reviewing ECW's Hardcore Heaven 97, where they pulled this off like seven times, and they still got me today on AEW. I literally just watched ECW Hardcore Heaven. They kept pulling off the Lights Out debut, the Lights Out return, and it happened like seven times on one show. So I've seen this, a lot of it, in the last couple days, getting ready for tomorrow's show. And guess what? AEW did it in a way where they still got me. Because when they did it the first time, nothing happened. So they did make it seem like there was production issues. I'm sure everybody expected some production issues being back on the road. So they played right into that. But it wasn't a production issue because when the lights went back on this time, holy shit, the most unexpected thing happened last night. Tommy and the former Aleister Black was standing in the ring and hit Black Mass on Arn Anderson. This was an epic moment. The crowd is going absolutely ballistic. They are losing their shit. Next thing you know, Cody Rhodes enters to the ring. Boom! Black Mass for Cody Rhodes. They are announcing that this is Malachi Black. Earlier in the day, we've seen the Malachi Black character explained. And Malachi Black debuts later that night on AEW. This was just great. This was insane. I loved it. But as much as I loved it, I was equally as confused because I thought, I thought that there was a 90-day non-compete from the WWE. Where if you get released, you can't compete in any other promotion in 90 days. So I was confused. I was like, wait a minute. It hasn't been 90 days. It damn sure hasn't been 90 days. How did this happen? So if what I'm about to read you right now is taken right from PWInsider.com. I'm not taking credit for this. This is coming from PWInsider.com. And it explains what's going on with the 90-day non-compete. Quote. It is told that back when Tommy End was moved to the main roster for WWE several years ago, the company failed to update his contract from the standard 30-day non-compete that NXT-level talents receive to the 90-day non-compete that the main roster performers are given. So, what can only be described as bad clerical error allowed End to be free and cleared in the time for the first episode of AEW Dynamite on the road and surprise everyone. End quote. So because of a WWE error, we were able to get this moment. If WWE indeed gives Tommy End the 90-day non-compete, Tommy End does not end up on the show. No Malachi Black. No Black Mass to Cody Rhodes. No Black Mass to Arn Anderson. No Lights Out. No Surprise. The WWE made a clerical error. They did not update his non-compete clause from 30 to NXT to 90 to WWE main roster. And that's why we got this moment last night. Insane how things work out, right? That is just absolutely insane how these things play out. I, Wow. Because I, I was questioning it. I was like, yo... Is AEW getting suits for this? Did he maybe work out a deal with WWE where he could 
come sooner? Did Selena Vega maybe say, hey, I would resign, but you got to cancel out the 90-day non-compete? It was none of that shit. It was just an error by the WWE. That's insane. Insane. Anyway, he is here now. Malachi Black is here in AEW, and there's going to be a lot of great matches for him. Who's next? I would love to see Buddy Murphy. I would really love to see Braun Strowman. But I digress. We're going to go. We're going to keep talking about the show. We, we see highlights of before the show where Ricky Starks has security to protect himself in the ring. Taz gets mad. He says to Starks, you don't need security. What are you doing? Brian Cage comes out and he attacks the security. This leads up to next week. We're getting Brian Cage versus Ricky Starks for the FTW champion. Ricky Starks seems to be breaking away from Taz. It looks like Team Taz is basically disintegrating. They're losing Cage. They're losing uh, Ricky Starks. Who's going to be left? Hook? Hobbs? I like Hobbs, but Hook? We haven't even seen Hook in the ring. Can Hook even wrestle? We've seen that he could talk. He said two words last week. But could Hook Hook wrestle? I don't know. Pretty much done with Team Taz anyway. Like, it, it don't bother me if they don't, you know, stay a team. Anyway, next we got the intergender tag team matchup of the Bunny and the Blade versus Orange Cassidy and Chris Statlander. Orange Cassidy was super over with this crowd. Super over with this crowd. This crowd was going crazy for Cassidy's entrance. So was Statlander. They had a good matchup. Good sequences. In the end, Blade hits Orange Cassidy with brass knuckles. Chris Statlander... Well, Orange Cassidy and Blade were not even the legal men, though. Chris Statlander hits a uh, tombstone pile driver on the bunny for the three count. One, two, three... Orange Cassidy and Chris Statlander pick up the victory in this intergender matchup. Not very many intergender matchups in uh, AEW. Last week, they said this was the first ever. That was an error. Then this week, they said, oh, well, the first ever was with Shaq and Jade Cargill versus Red Velvet and Cody Rhodes. That was an error. Because in the first year of AEW 2019, we actually had an intergender matchup between Kenny Omega and Rio versus Penelope Ford and Kip Sabian. But, you know... Small little error, who cares, you know? If we're, if we're going to turn a blind eye to JR calling this WWE, then we could turn a blind eye to them saying this is the first ever intergender matchup, right? So whatever. Next, we have AEW awarding Jungle Boy with the trophy for being the first man to 50 wins. Pretty impressive. That's really cool that they're really building Jungle Boy as a big deal. But I think it's telling that Jungle Boy is being built up by himself, not as a tag team with the Luchasaurus. I think that we eventually get Luchasaurus turning heel and taking out Jungle Boy and we have a feud between Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus because Luchasaurus as a masked big man with that look screams monster heel to me. It is seen numerous times on this show that in the front row we have American top team coach Dan Lambert who, who dipped his toes in the waters of professional wrestling before. He is a character on MLW. He's the uh, manager for King Mo. He was also at Impact Wrestling in 2016-17 era where he was feuding with Moose and Eddie Edwards and he was accompanying Bobby Lashley to the ring. Guy has a great personality and the guy is a real talker, plays a real heel asshole a lot. But we see Dan Lambert along with the BMF champion in the UFC, Jose Masvidal and Amanda Nunez, former 
uh, I don't know if she's former or still is the UFC women's bantamweight champion. But they're in the front row. So Tony Schiavone goes to introduce the American top team. Dan Lambert grabs the mic, jumps into the ring. He says that, you know, he was uh, told by Tony Khan to come to AEW. It's such a cool experience to be at AEW Live. He says he's not having nothing of it. He gets in the ring and says that he didn't want to come because AEW absolutely sucks. He says that he would rather go watch old school tapes of championship wrestling from Florida. But not too many because in the 90s, that's when wrestling went downhill. He says that AEW is unwatchable. He says Tony Khan invited him to see the show live. And Tony Khan said that it's such a great show and you got to be a part of that live crowd. And he says he was wrong. And he's just going on and on and on. AEW sucks. Fuck AEW. Blah, 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 blah. And then Lance Archer, the murder hawk monster, comes out and takes out Dan Lambert. He puts him on top of the turnbuckle and hits him with the blackout. Jose Masvidal and Amanda Nunez are just watching from ringside like, oh, okay, well, you know, we, we want to shut him up too. But uh, really cool to see uh, both Lambert, both UFC stars here, and Lance Archer get a spot on this show. But it is main event time. It is the Young Bucks versus Pentagon and Eddie Kingston in a street fight for the AEW Tag Team Champions. Holy shit. Holy shit. What a main event. This was a great matchup, man. Pentagon with a destroyer through the table. Wild chaotic brawling. The crowd was just going batshit insane. Insane, man. There was a moment in this matchup where you had Eddie Kingston with a chokehold on Matt Jackson. And Nick hits a a top rope move on Rick Knox, the referee, to stop Nick from uh, tapping out. He, uh, what's it called? The Good Brothers come out. They attack Eddie Kingston. Pentagon comes out. Well, Pentagon takes out the Good Brothers. Brandon Cutler gets involved. Kaz takes out Brandon Cutler. The Good Brothers take out Kaz. They hit the Magic Killer on Kaz on the floor. Kingston pours tax into the ring. Matt uh, Jackson throws tax into Kingston's face. It's just super crazy shit. There was a point where Nick Jackson hits a Super Heracurana from the top rope onto Pentagon through the tax. Or onto the tax, I mean. Then in the end, it ends when Matt Jackson puts the tax in Eddie Kingston's mouth. And they hit a double super kick. For the finish. The Young Bucks win. We go off the air with the Elite standing tall. What a great matchup. What a fun way to end the show. What a great night. This was an amazing, amazing, amazing episode of AEW. Let's compare. Yesterday I said the Great American Bash was the best show of the year for NXT. And I agree it's the best show of the year for NXT. But it's no longer the best show of the year. I think that this is either tied or one-upped the Great American Bash. This show, in my opinion, gets a 5 out of 5. 5 out of 5, AEW Road Rager was absolutely phenomenal. Phenomenal. 5 out of 5. What a great show. Great to see AEW back on the road. Like I said, this definitely seems like a new era for AEW. A new direction for AEW. We didn't have comedy bullshit. We didn't have stupid things that just didn't make sense. We didn't have them trying too hard. We didn't have stupid referees trying to ignore the rules. We didn't have dumb, nonsensical bullshit. Everything made sense. Everything felt great. This was a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal show. Five out of five. Amazing episode. Go out of your way if you haven't seen it. 
If you have it on the DVR, stop what you're doing right now. Play that shit. But fair, first, wait, 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 wait. Don't play it now. Play it after the show because we'll be right back. It is Thursday. It is a super long episode of the Wrestling DeLorean Podcast, but we're not done. We're almost done, but we're not done because Thursday we always have making an impact. We're talking about Impact Wrestling, TNA Impact from February 18th, 2006. We are having the fallout from Against All Odds. We have a new champion, and we're talking all about it when we return. So strap in your car seat, strap in your seatbelt. The Wrestling DeLorean's going on a ride back to 2006 when we come back. It's Thursday, you know what that means. Making an impact where we go back in time and we talk about every TNA impact from the Spike TV era and beyond. We are just off the, we're coming off of the Against All Odds 2006 pay-per-view where we crowned a brand new NWA world champion. Christian Cage is your new champion. He defeated Jeff Jarrett at the pay-per-view. Really good matchup and an amazing show for TNA. And now we are going to be on the road to Destination X. Where the X Division thrives. We have a lot of shit that goes down on this episode that has a lot of implications and stipulations and complications to Destination X. So without further ado, let's talk about the TNA Impact episode from February 18th, 2006. This show starts out with a recap of Against All Odds, which was a really good show. Really enjoyed it. Christian Cage is the new champion, and that's how we're starting out Impact today. Impact comes... Well, Impact. Christian Cage comes out. He talks about how long he's been waiting to be a champion, how long he's been held down by other companies. He's no longer a mid-carder. He says he is now the NWA champion, and he gets to put his name along the likes of Terry Funk, Dory Funk, Ric Flair, Harley Race, Dusty Rhodes. Names all the good champs, right? He calls out Monty Brown. He says that Monty is the number one contender for Destination X. He said that it's going to be one hell of a matchup, but he's going to finally take out the alpha male at Destination X. He makes fun of how uh, Monty Brown cuts his promos, blah, blah, blah. Right, so we got it. Main event time. Well, not main event time. Main event of Destination X will be Christian Cage versus Monty Brown for the NWA World Champion. Jeff Jarrett is seen backstage. He's cutting a promo. He says he got screwed by everyone at uh, against all odds but he says that he's going to turn into a positive he has a tape on Jackie and wants to de- make a deal with Jackie tonight match for a spot on Team TNA in the World X Cup the World X Cup if you don't know is where TNA brings in international talents and they have a tournament based on where you are from so they have Team Japan versus Team Mexico versus Team Canada versus Team USA this year, we're going to have qualifying matches to see who will be on the Team USA. We have a triple threat matchup between Shannon Moore, who comes out to ICP's Chicken Hunt, that'll make sense to me, versus Roderick Strong, versus Jay Lethal, 
And surprise, surprise, Jay Lethal picks up the victory here. He is on a roll. He got the victory at against the odds. He now picks up the victory here, and he's a part of Team TNA. So he went from jobber to representing TNA in the World X Cup real quick. But the guy is extremely talented. Still to this day, one of the best wrestlers in the world. So really cool to see them get behind him here. It was a really good matchup. The X Division always delivers, so I really enjoyed that. We next get a, a sit-down interview with Ron The Truth Killings. He's talking about his history. He's talking about growing up in the slums. He talks about meeting Tupac when he was at a breakdancing competition. He talks about playing football, not having money, and resorting to selling drugs and doing crime. He talks about being shot at, and he also talks about how he knew and he decided that it was time to change his life around. This is part one of a series of Ron The Truth Killings Life. So next week we'll be talking about part two. But definitely it was cool to see them get introspective with Ron The Truth Killings here. James Gang interview here. Bullet Bob Armstrong joins them and says that it is no longer three on two. They will not be outnumbered. Bullet Bob Armstrong wants a three on three six man tag against LAX. All three members including Conan. He wants them... Which is funny because we got Conan versus old school Bullet Bob Armstrong here. And in the modern day in AEW, we have Conan versus old school Tully Blanchard. So, Conan been wrestling these legends for a long time, it seems. We next get a six-man tag, LAX versus three jobbers. LAX makes quick work of them. They hit the jobbers with the slapjack after the matchup. Conan gets on the mic and he says that Bullet Bob, the next time you'll be hospitalized permanently if you want to get in the ring with me. Larry Zabisco is in his uh, office with Samoa Joe. He says that there will be a three-way against AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, and Samoa Joe, a rematch of Against All Odds, a rematch of Unbreakable for the X Division Champion at Destination X. But this time it's going to be a little bit different. He said that if he wants to really prove himself in the X Division, he has to face off the top X Division wrestlers in the signature match of the X Division the Ultimate X match. Samoa Joe is not happy about this. Samoa Joe is obviously a bigger guy. It's going to be a lot harder for him to shimmy his ass onto those ropes and then shimmy across those ropes to get the title. So this match seems perfect for AJ Styles or for Christopher Daniels to take that belt off of Joe. So Joe's a little pissed off, but he says that he will not be underestimated and he will be still X Division champion coming out of Destination X. So that should be cool. We got two matches already signed. We got... Christian Cage versus Monty Brown. And now we got a three-way Ultimate X match between Joe, AJ, and Christopher Daniels at at Destination X. So that should be cool. Next, we got Austin Aries versus Christopher Daniels. This was a really good back-and-forth matchup. Christopher Daniels got a lot of offense in, though. He puts on the Coquina Clutch on Austin Aries, which leads to Joe to come out and attack. He gets pissed off. That leads to a DQ finish. AJ Styles makes the save from Joe, hitting him with... From uh, Joe hitting Christopher Daniels with the muscle buster on the chair. He hits Joe with the chair right across the head. And then he holds up the X Division champion. Then we got a highlight video of Ultimate X. So for those who don't know, Ultimate X is the signature match of the TNA X Division. You got two ropes that form an X above the ring. And you have to climb up these metal trusks. And then shimmy across the X to get the prize in the middle. Which is usually an X Division title. It is announced that next week it will be Ron The Truth Killings and Rhino versus AMW for the Tag Team Champions. But tonight, Ron The Truth Killings and Team 3D goes against Team Canada in the main event. We have a viewing viewing party for the Jackie Gata video that Jeff Jarrett has in hand. He says that 
she, I was called. He's going to show the world. Jackie says that she quits. Jerry gets what he wants. She's, she's gone. She's going to walk away. Jerry says that you don't get off that easy. If you quit, if you walk away, the video will end up on the internet for the world to see. She reluctantly agrees to join Planet Jarrett, so this does not happen. Eric Young is scared of Sting, so Jeff Jarrett gets pissed off. He tells Alex Shelley to go film Sting's personal life to prove that Sting is really walking away from the wrestling business. Next, we got the main event. It is Petey Williams, Bobby Roode, and A1 Team Canada against Team 3D and Ron The Truth Killings. This was a fun match. Ron gets the win. Uh, A&W attacks The Truth afterwards. Rhino attacks, and we have... It all set up for Rhino and the Truth versus AMW next week. Main event matchup was good. Not great, but it was good. Monty Brown then is interviewed. He says that it's about time that he gets a world title shot. And the show ends with him going into Christian Cage's locker room, presumably to attack him. He says that the hunt is on. So that's how we go off the air. This was a good episode of TNA Impact. It was fun to sit through. A lot of X Division stuff on it, which is cool because Destination X is the X Division's pay-per-view. But, um, yeah, coming off of Against the Lodge, you know, we're just waiting for the build to the next pay-per-view. Definitely a good show. I enjoyed it. I'm going to give it a 2 out of 5 stars. Pretty good show. Tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen, on the Wrestling DeLorean Podcast, we're going to be talking all about tonight's episode of Impact Wrestling on Access TV. Make sure you watch Impact Wrestling on Access TV at 8 o'clock Eastern. Should be a really good show. We are very close to... Slammiversary, the 19th year anniversary of TNA Impact Wrestling, so make sure you check that out tonight. Also on the show tomorrow, we will have the news and notes, but we will also be going back in time to ECW's Hardcore Heaven 1997, and we'll be discussing everything there is to discuss about the second pay-per-view in ECW history, so make sure you check that out. I hope everyone has a great day. Make sure you follow along on Instagram at WrestlingDeloreanPod and on TikTok at WrestlingDeloreanPod. Download the podcast, subscribe, review, all that good shit is very much appreciated. We love you guys. Without you guys, there is no us. You keep this strong. You keep this show alive. So thank you so much for all the support. It's never unseen. Thank you. I appreciate all the comments, the reviews, all the ratings, and all the downloads. Thank you so much. Hope everyone has a great day. Peace out. From iHeart Podcast, Supreme, the battle for Roe, tells the story of the unlikely champions behind the landmark case, Roe v. Wade. Starring Maya Hawke as 26-year-old lead attorney, Sarah Weddington. We're challenging the Texas abortion laws in federal court. And Academy Award nominee, William H. Macy, as Supreme Court Justice, Harry Blackman. Time is not the most important factor. Getting it right is. Listen to the podcast, Supreme, the battle for Roe, on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 